Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life with the advisors from Foster and Motley. In this podcast, they share their mission to help individuals, couples, and families achieve the life they envision by providing a comprehensive wealth management experience. Join this seasoned team of experts as they explore actionable steps to improve your financial well-being and answer your most pressing questions. Maybe you've been listening to this podcast from Foster and Motley, and you've decided, yeah, it is time to get some financial advice. Or maybe this is your first episode and you're tuning in because you're curious about the various types of financial advisors out there. Either way, it is important to make sure you hire the right kind of advisor for your situation. That is exactly what investment manager Ryan English and financial planner Tony Lockhart will talk about in this episode. I'm Patrice Sikora. Both Ryan and Tony are making return appearances on Foster and Motley's podcast about wealth and life. So I say welcome back, gentlemen. Welcome back. And tell us, what is a financial advisor? Well, Patrice, thanks for having us. Uh, Great question. In this industry, it's difficult because that term gets thrown around so very loosely. Well, you know, you have financial advisors, financial planners, money managers, wealth managers, insurance agents, all calling themselves financial advisors. So it's just a a very ambiguous term, financial advisor. But when you boil it down, generally financial advisors fall into two main buckets, um, either brokers or registered investment advisors. As far as brokers are concerned, those are often thought of as salespeople because they're typically paid on commissions, which is very transactional. You, They recommend a product, they, get, they collect a fee based upon the investment product that they recommend. Now, until recently, they were held to a suitability standard, meaning that they were they were only they were required to uh, if there were two investment options that were both suitable for that client, one could pay the advisor more. They were still allowed to recommend the one that paid them more. So what was suitable now until recently, and I say until recently because brokers are now held to a best interest standard, which as the name implies, they're required to held, have the uh, act in the client's best interest. Now, however, most are still compensated based upon transactions and the, the products that they recommend for clients, which creates that inherent conflict of interest for the relationship with the client. So that's kind of the broker side of the equation. Now, On the other side of the equation is the registered investment advisor. And a registered investment advisor are registered with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. And by that registration, we are bound to uphold the fiduciary duty, the fiduciary standard. And as this standard by law requires an investment advisor to put the client's best interest first and foremost. Now, from a compensation perspective, registered investment advisors are typically compensated by fees and and fees that we're charging based upon that the assets that we're managing for the client. And those fees are typically a percentage of what what we're managing for the the client, percentage of the assets that we're, we're managing. 
Now, we receive no compensation from anywhere else. So what the client pays us is the only compensation we receive. We get no kickbacks based upon products that we recommend. We get no kickbacks from custodians or anything of that nature. So that really puts our interests aligned on the same side of the table. If the client does better, we do better. If the client doesn't does worse or vice versa, we do worse. So we feel that's really important that the fees are structured in that way um, to align both interests together. Now, as far as uh, meeting with and interviewing folks, the uh, both brokers and registered investment advisors are both required to provide a form a client relationship summary, which is dubbed form CRS. So this client relationship summary is very informative because it documents services that the advisor is going to provide. It, it documents the fees. It also documents conflicts of interest. So this is an important form. And another document that only registered investment advisors are required to pro provide is form ADV which provides a lot of the same information as the client relationship summary form, but a, a bit more detail. So both of these documents should be available and are available on our website. Now, Ryan, talk to me about the credentials and the certifications that these involve. Yeah, Patrice, I mean, we, we work in a, an interesting industry where, you know, where our, our knowledge and expertise is really what ultimately helps the client and um, the client's success in their financial plan. So there's many different um, credentials that are available um, for advisors to obtain. I would say that the three big ones uh, that, in our opinion, signal um, very good expertise in this industry are number one, the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner. That is a uh, designation where the individual went through a rigorous process to learn about all aspects of financial planning, how to develop financial plans for clients. Another one is the Chartered Financial Analyst designation, and this is on the investment management side. It's a three-year program that um, requires three tests. The pass rates are, are very uh, low. Uh, it's quite difficult. And the curriculum really encompasses everything you could know or want to know about investments in terms of their valuation, structuring a portfolio. So that is, is a really good one for if you're evaluating an investment manager in terms of their investment expertise. And then uh, certified public accountant, CPA. There's a lot of, uh, of course, tax planning that's required for clients. Uh, try to minimize their taxes, look out to the future, even potentially um, do their tax returns. So, you know, each state obviously offers a CPA license and, uh, you know, there are four exams for that plus an experience requirement. So I think if you can find advisors that um, have one, two or three or any, you know, any of these particular credentials, then that's a pretty good starting point for an evaluation. I never realized that there were so many different uh, uh, designations. Though. That's, that's incredible. In three years, that's a long time for the chartered. That's a long time. <laughs> All right. Uh, fee structures. Now, Tony, you kind of touched on this when you were talking about the brokers and, and then the fiduciary duties. Tell me about fee structures. 
Yeah. So fee structures, there's a couple different types, um, you know, commissions where you're paying a person for someone to um, trade an investment for you. So it's a transactional type of fee. Um, there's fee based where fee based may be um, some sort of flat fee, but then there may be some commission based on top of that based upon products that they recommend. And then the third and in, in which we are is, is fee only and the fee only the client, the only fee the client pays is what they pay us directly. Um, and we feel that that is the best way to organize a relationship because it removes the conflict of interest of, well, was this investment better than that investment? The client knows what they're paying us upfront. So there's no conflict of interest uh, for us on the backside of saying, okay, what, what is, what is the best investments for this client? Our interests are aligned. We're both sitting on the same side of the table as we provide and, and make recommendations. Now as a, as a potential uh, client, I go in and I'm interviewing someone. Can I ask about the fee structures? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's um, that's a question every prospective client should ask. I mean, that's a, an important aspect of them making the decision to go with um, a particular advisor. I, and, and we're very transparent about our fees. Our fees are actually listed on our, our website for anybody to evaluate. They can, a prospective client can understand what the costs are before even um, contacting us. All right. Great. Great. And then I guess it all really comes back down to why should I hire a financial advisor? Well, I mean, one of the main reasons to hire a financial advisor is discipline. Um, clients or individuals who have money to invest, coming up with a plan and maintaining discipline in terms of uh, being fully invested, having the right allocation, not panicking when markets are down. <laughs> yes. Um, not buying more with um, with cash when markets are you know at extreme valuations. I mean, those are. It's really the discipline, um, the relationship in terms of the advisor getting to know the client and finding out what their particular needs are, and developing a plan of how how we can uh, help achieve those. I, I totally agree with what Ryan said. I'll take a, a different kind of angle on it, though. I think it also has to do with happiness. I, you know, studies show that people are happy when they're they're confident in the decisions that they're making, and having an advisor um, to act as an accountability partner to help make good decisions that are appropriate for their situation, or at least lay out their options so they hmm. can make eyes wide open decisions about you know this uh, fork in the road versus that fork in the road um, provides a lot of confidence and, and overall happiness. Confidence is a big issue here. You're right. I didn't even think of that or the happiness. It does make me happy when I know that somebody else is saying, yes, I, th I agree with you in what you've decided to do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it takes, um, I mean, it's obviously a full-time job. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily have the the time to, um, to, to maintain the time to put forth and, and doing it right and doing all the research. I mean, these are these are complicated financial topics um, and certainly tax planning and estate planning and, you know, valuation of individual securities and what to buy, what to sell. Those are those are things that um, certainly require a lot of work. How do you how do you tell your client, you know, something I think you're being a little greedy? 
we look at it, we, we present um, scenarios, right? We, we, <laughs> right. we say, you know, here are a couple different options and here's the risk associated with them. Here's the return associated with them. I mean, typically if there's, there's an idea that um, a stock tip that a client received from some other source, I mean, it's, it's usually one of the stocks that certainly have done very well. And we just kind of lay out the, the risk and the um, reward, the prospects of it, and kind of let, let them make the decision in a sense um, and understand uh, what exactly, you know, how much greed they're, they're taking or (laughs) on the other end, how much fear. So, uh, yeah, and I think it, it ties back to the advisor is some is a is a partner in the relationship, and mm-hmm. there's different types of financial advisors, and different financial advisors provide uh, different services. What we provide at Foster Motley is both investment management, so managing a portfolio on a discretionary basis, and financial planning. So on having a financial advisor, that team that works for you and understands your goals, it's tying it back to, you know, what your goal is, you know, you, are you being greedy? How does this impact your overall goals? Um, and that really helps the conversation and, and mm-hmm. put things in perspective. Which brings us back to another big question here. Where do you start when you're looking to hire a financial advisor? I think you you start talking whether you're hiring a financial advisor or whether you're hiring someone to work on your house. I think it, it starts with asking friends and family, you know, who they use, people that are in similar situations as you. Maybe it's uh, coworkers that have a similar situation. You know, a lot of times there is a certain expertise or certain specific parts of a a company's retirement plan that a financial advisor will have expertise on. So, you know, finding people that have similar situations, asking about their experiences, you know, I think that's, that's the first place to start. Okay. How about industry groups? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's several industry group options. Uh, You can look at um, NAPFA, I believe we'll, we'll have a, RIA is listed on their website for you to search. Uh, and and what, is that? what is that group? National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. That's okay. a mouthful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And then also uh, there are several different, um, I guess I would call them rankings for financial advisors or wealth management firms or RAAs and you know, a number of them are published each year and they can be broken down by nationally or by state or even um, local, more locally like a city. But uh, that's something that is another good resource. Uh, certainly would advise any prospective client to look at the ranking requirement uh, and see what uh, that particular organization used to rank those advisors, if that kind of matches mm-hmm. up with what they're looking for. But I think that certainly can give a great list uh, for a prospective client to look at, start to go down that list, visit all of the firm's websites. I mean, we we put enormous amount of information yeah. on our website for for anybody to get to know us um, even before contacting us. Uh, there's also the SEC requires filings for what's called an ADV annually for registered investment advisors. And you can obtain that right on their website. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big document, it's 30 pages, but, uh, 
it will it will give you a, a lot of information about that firm, how they how their fees are charged, what services they provide, uh, what their clients look like in terms of uh, size versus institutional clients, and then um, all of the information about the uh, principals or the advisors in terms of their uh, their records. Is it is it okay to set up a, a just a get to know you meeting? Like you you've, you're interested in someone, but you really don't know for sure that this is the person you want to hire as your advisor. So is it is it kosher to come in and say, I just want to talk? Absolutely. I think uh, any good advisor is going to offer an introductory meeting. Um, so, I, you know, absolutely. And I see that introductory meeting. It's a lot like a first date. You know, you're you're trying to get to know them a little <laughs> yes. bit. They're trying to get to know you a little bit. Oh, yeah. We need to see you know, if there's a good fit, because in, in theory, uh, you're going to be working with this advisor for a a very long time. They're going to be working with you for a very long time. So there needs to be a good fit. There needs to be some cohesiveness, a good conversation um, that just feels feels right. So that's a that's a huge part of it. And, you know, when you set up that get to know you meeting, you should come prepared to ask questions. Just like when you go to the doctor, you know, no one's going to care about your your uh, your health situation more than you and no one's going to care about your financial situation more than you you need to come prepared and, and kind of know what you're looking for have some good questions to ask there's uh, some good resources for that the uh, the cfp website uh, provides a, a list of questions you know print it out bring it in you know ask those questions it's uh no questions should be off limits it's hard to do that though it's hard for somebody to to try and well maybe they're not trying to put you on the spot but it's hard to question how do you help them with that well i mean we we actually have a um a faq of frequently asked questions uh, that's a that's a very typical question when we meet with prospects is well what questions should i ask or mm. what questions didn't i ask and i mean there's there's certainly numerous questions uh, any prospective client could ask, but I mean, it also comes down to with how, you know, what do they need to know to become comfortable with selecting advisor? I think if, if they're looking at advisors that have credentials that follow a fiduciary stand, standard that act in their best interest, and they have clients that are similar to them in terms of their complexity, then, you know, it comes down to, do I like these people that I'm, I'm sitting across the table from? Can I work with them for many years? Um, are they a good fit, essentially? Mm -hmm. And what do you need to know? What do you need to ask to determine whether or not this really would be a good fit? Well, I mean, all of the financial information that they can provide in an in a initial or, you know, secondary meeting is, is extremely helpful. Uh, tax returns, any investment account statements, uh, pay stubs, uh, estate planning documents. I mean, those are all things that uh, we like to look at in uh, starting an initial conversation and talking through uh, with prospective clients on how we might be able to help them. And if, uh, if they feel that uh, you know, their needs are, um, mm -hmm. are what we can solve for, so. Yeah, I'll say that introductory meeting, you don't need to have 
all of that information prepared because that can be super overwhelming. But you need to have an understanding of your financial situation, you know, have an idea of what accounts you have where and, you know, approximate values and things of that nature. And the other part of this is if the financial advisor is only acting, asking about the money side of the equation, you know, I, I put I, I push you know, the pause button on that. There needs to be some conversation around it should start with what your goals are, mm -hmm. you know, what you're looking to accomplish. Why are you here today? You know, those types of things should be, you know, the the impetus for the conversation and really getting an understanding of your total financial picture, not just, you know, what values you have and which accounts and, and so forth. So I think those are all, you know, which, what's the makeup of your family? Have you, are you sending kids to college? You know, what college plans do you have set up? All those things need to be part of the equation. All right. Can you get that done in one meeting or does it take more? Well, it takes hey, a lot. That's a lot of meetings uh, to get <laughs> to get all that done. Yeah. The introductory phone call, you know, we can get a lot of good kind of basic information. Again, not a lot of details, but a lot of good basics. And then, you know, if engaged in a relationship, then it becomes a, a, a data gathering process in which we get that information. Then, you know, we kind of call it the first year experience. We'll meet with a client, a client three or four times over that first year and, and take bite-sized pieces of their financial life so that, you know, mm -hmm. it's like eating an elephant. You take, you only eat an <laughs> elephant one bite at a time. So it, uh, it's, it can be daunting if you, if you view the elephant, uh, you know, from the distance, but taking one bite at a time is, is much more palatable. And, and by the end of it, you're don't even realize uh, you had that big of a task to, to lift. Mm -hmm. How long does it take somebody? Usually if they come in, they meet with you, and I'm sure they don't right away say, okay, I'm here for the, for the duration. They might go home, think about things. How long does it take them to come to the realization that, yeah, you're my fit or, yeah, you're not my fit? That varies. Uh, you know, some of them take, take the day or the night to think about it and make a decision the following day. You know, others are, you know, typically evaluating other advisors and they may still have other firms to meet with and then, you know, follow-up is re typically required if they want to narrow it down to two firms. But I mean, I would say that it's, it, it is um, quicker than you'd think. I would, a couple weeks if they're evaluating an, with another advisors, mm -hmm. um, if they're kind of ready to go and they, they have an urgent financial need and need to solve for something, then, I mean, certainly that decision happens a lot quicker. And that's a good question. How many people come in with, I need help now, versus I'm looking around. It all varies. <laughs> okay. It all I varies. Would, I would say it's probably 70 to 75% that need help now. Really? Yeah. Um, they There's something that um, they have a question about, I mean, which is typically retirement. You know, there's, a, there's an urge to plan for retirement at a certain age, and they feel that they're at that point or, you know, they're, they're maybe even looking to retire sooner than um, you would think, and they need to know the answer to that right away. Uh, do I have enough to retire in six months? So it oh, it wow. really it does vary on their their situation, but I would say that seventy seventy five percent is um, a financial need. Tony, what do you think? Same thing? Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I think that most people reach out to an advisor when they have some event in their life. So I, I don't disagree with Ryan that 
the number is probably that high. There's a need. I think some people, there's a difference between an important need and an urgent need. I think people have an important need. It may not be something that's urgent. So it's not the house is on fire. We need to, to figure something out in the next you know month. It's, hey, we have something, some change in our life that we need to figure out over uh, a year's period or a six month year, mm-hmm. six month time period. So, yeah, I, I would caution people on making any hasty financial decision. The old adage, uh, time and uh, time and, and speed are seldom friends or uh, good decisions and uh, time are seldom friends is the is the better phrase. Mm-hmm. So yeah, never making those uh, those hasty decisions and don't hesitate to to reach out, talk to different people ask right. follow-up questions. That should also be part of your process. All right. Briefly tell me, someone has come in, they've spoken with you, they may have spoken with some other possible uh, advisors, and they've decided, yes, I do want to come with Foster and Motley. What is your onboarding process? The onboarding process uh, typically is uh, starts with a, a signed, what we call wealth management agreement. That's just an agreement between us and the, the client as what we're going to do and what they're going to provide. And all that good stuff. And then from there, we have a uh, software program that uh, is uses a, a data onboarding. So uh, we send a, a link out, they set up that link. Um, and then there's a list of questions. Some of it's personal, some of it's about statements, where you can drag your statements, put your statements in there. Uh, questions about expenses and all that good stuff. So it's a very uh, a nifty uh, onboarding tool that uh, that we utilize from mm-hmm. that perspective to try to make that process as as easy as possible. But you know, it is a, it is an ask for a significant amount of information. So you should be prepared to, you know, invest some time. We can only do good work if we have good information. Yeah, and then uh, different firms will use different custodians. We primarily use um, Charles Schwab as our custodian of choice. And clients would need to open up accounts there that we could facilitate in doing that and. Um, transfer assets over, uh, get things going. Is there anything we haven't covered, guys, that you think we should, that someone listening really it would benefit them to know before they come in to, to talk to you? I would just say, you know, whoever you're talking to is you know, come prepared with knowing your financial situation and come prepared with a list of, of questions and, and, you know, no one's going to care more about your financial life than you do. So, um, ask good questions, talk about fees. There should be no questions that are off limits. And if there are, or there's hmm. some ambiguity in answers, that's a that's a red flag, So, or at least a yellow one. Okay. Ryan, anything to add? No, I mean, I would just echo that uh, preparation is is key in these these meetings, and everyone should, should do their research, be prepared, and evaluate uh, the different firms that um, that they feel that could be a good fit for their situation. Where can someone reach you if they've got questions and they, they want some answers? Yeah, Patrice, uh, one of the best ways they can reach us is visiting our website at www.fosterandmotley.com. Or another option would be to give us a call at 513-561-6640. Great. Thank you. Ryan English, Tony Luckhart. To know when new episodes of Foster and Motley's podcast about wealth and life are available, simply subscribe to this podcast and, of course, share with people you know, especially friends or family who may be looking for a financial advisor.
I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content, including mention of specific investments or planning techniques, is for informational and for educational purposes only. It is not intended as a recommendation or a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.